So hey, we're in a series called Follow. Today's message is called Unfollow because as we see here, uh, there was a moment in Jesus' ministry where uh, some of his disciples left, it left him and they never came back. Now one of the things we said when we started this series was that when we come to Christ, uh, there's, God has an agenda for our lives, and then we often come to God with a different agenda, and that God knows that about us, and by his grace and his mercy, his grace is sufficient for that, but that at some point, we have to be willing to trade in our agenda for our lives for God's agenda for our lives. So in other words, God says, hey, I'm going to make you a fisher of men, right? But what we want is, hey, we want God to fix our crisis or cure our marriage or rescue our wayward children. or I mean, whatever our agenda is, right? We just have to acknowledge that our agenda for our lives sometimes looks different than God's agenda. And these early disciples were no different. They were no different than you and they were no different than me because they too came to Jesus, at least initially, for selfish reasons. In fact, that gets called out here in John chapter 6. Now the context for this teaching, it's so important to understand. The context is this. Jesus has just done a miracle where he's fed uh, 5,000, fed thousands of people for a lunch. It was a big lunch. It was a filling lunch. And people really, really liked that Jesus fed them for free. Now, you need to know that people uh, in this century viewed food completely differently than you and I do. Food was a very big deal in this day. There was never enough of it. They had no refrigeration, no ability to store their food or keep it from spoiling. You couldn't feed uh, very many people uh, at a time. You know, there were no food trucks or distribution lines or warehouses. There were way too many logistical problems to be able to feed thousands of people at once. And yet, Jesus has done it. I mean, this was absolutely unprecedented in his day. So, the people that Jesus fed, they get the word out that Jesus has given away free Happy Meals. And so people are ecstatic about this. This leads to lots and lots of people following Jesus, not necessarily to hear him teach, but they're coming to him because they like the free food. See, they're coming uh, to this guy for a completely different set of reasons. And of course, Jesus knows this about them, right? We've said before, it's never a good idea to think a bad thought in Jesus' presence because he always seems to know what people are thinking or what question they're going to ask before they even say it. And so Jesus says, essentially in John 6, verses 25 and 26, hey, you're just looking for me because I fed you, because your bellies are full and you're looking for more of that. And then Jesus wants to point them to something, a deeper truth. In other words, the point is this, look, if I feed you another meal, you're going to be hungry tomorrow. I mean, when does that end? But listen, he says, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread of life. So he, he uses the analogy of bread, which was part of the meal that he just fed him. He's building on that. And he's saying, look, I am the bread of life. 
uh, that's come down from heaven. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never get thirsty. And of course, we know he's talking about the deeper desires, the yearnings that we, the cravings that we humans have. And of course, because he said he came down from heaven, a group of people that are there, they disagree with him. They say, no, we know you didn't come down from heaven. We know your mama. We know your daddy. So they start to grumble and complain because that's sacrilegious. It's blasphemy. To say that you came down from heaven is to say in their eyes that you're God. But that's exactly what Jesus is doing. And then Jesus takes things to a whole nother level. John 6, 54 and 55. And this teaching would be so revolting to them. He says this. Uh, after their grumbling, he says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood. I mean, we've got a twilight thing going on here, right? Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, listen, later to his disciples, this is going to make perfect sense. See, later Jesus is going to gather in an upper room with them for a final meal, and he's going to break bread, and he's going to say, this bread represents my body, which is going to be offered up for you. And then he's going to take a cup and he's going to say, this cup, what we drink from this cup represents my shed blood, the blood that I'm going to purposely spill and pour out for you on a cross. But that moment hasn't come yet. So his disciples are just scratching their heads at this teaching, just like everybody else is. In fact, uh, many of his disciples start to say things like this. Wow, that, this is hard teaching. I mean, who can surrender to it? Who can, who can put themselves under the yoke of this kind of teaching? In other words, who can get behind this? Who can line up under it? And so, as he's uh, saying this, his closest disciples, his inner core, his best students, the 12, they're looking at Jesus. And this, they're scratching their heads. I mean, to this point, they've been taking notes. Got it. Got it. But now they're like, uh, Jesus might want to ixnay on the, you know, all that stuff. Might want to play that low because, Jesus, people are starting to sneak out the back door. Now listen, here's why that was so important. To the, here's why the crowd was so important to the disciples. The crowds, Jesus' popularity with the crowds were the one thing that was keeping the Pharisees from, from trying to kill him. It was his popularity. Furthermore, in their minds, Jesus was going to become the king of Rome, the king of the world. So if Jesus was going to be king, they were going to be his cabinet, right? And they were going to, as he gained more popularity, they were going to gain more popularity. And so, but you can't become king without the support of the crowds. Now listen, sometimes even today in churches, crowds get really, really important. They do. Like, you know, uh, but listen, here's what I would just say is that uh, if, if, Disciples will leave Jesus, then people will leave, come and go in churches. And that's okay. We don't fix our eyes on the crowd. We fix our eyes on Jesus. And it's so important that we stay focused there. 
And so Jesus turns to the 12. He knows it offends them, just like everybody else. People are sneaking out the back. He says, does this offend you? Does this make you stumble? Does this make you uncomfortable? And this all culminates. And of course, yes, it did. It made them all of the above. Check, check, and check. And then all of this culminates in John chapter 6, verse 66. Here's what it says. Many of his disciples turned and no longer followed him. They never came back. They unfollowed right then and right there. And this is going to be a defining moment in the, not only the life and ministry of Jesus, but in the lives and ministries of his followers as well. Now, incidentally, often people will talk about the mark of the beast that's found in the book of Revelation. The number that we think of when we think of the mark of the beast found in Revelation is the number 666, right? So it's so interesting to me that in John chapter 6, verse 66, we are told that many of his disciples turned and no longer followed him. So just an interesting detail if you're into that sort of thing. Now, the reason that this verse is going to be a defining moment is that from now on, following Jesus is about to get more difficult. No more popularity contests, no more happy meals, no more free food, no more uh, dreams and ambitions of ruling the entire world, right? None of that's going to happen. And so they have to be thinking about disappearing with the crowd. And, of course, Jesus knows this. Knowing their hearts, he flat out asks, you don't want to leave too, do you? And again, again, this was exactly what they wanted to do. And here's why. Because they knew in this moment that from now on, following Jesus wasn't always going to be advantageous to them. It wasn't always going to line up with their own agenda of what it might look like to follow Jesus. And and what is their problem is also our problem. It's your problem. It's my problem because we do exactly the same thing. We're no different than them, right? So, for example, take someone who's grown up in the church. So they've been part of the children's ministry and then they're part of the student ministry all their lives. And those ministries provide them with tangible benefits. Those ministries provided them with friends, with stuff to do, with things to think about and a cause to live for. Those ministries help guide them. They hopefully help keep them out of trouble, right? Those ministries play vital role in shaping and equipping them and then the day comes when they go off to college and suddenly being a follower of Jesus is going to begin to cost them something they may be called intolerant or big bigoted or backward they may be ridiculed you mean to tell me you believe in the bible and all that fairy tale stuff what about this verse and what about that verse and you believe all that stuff and while everybody else is going out on weekends these students suspect they're not getting invited many places and it, they have a sneaking suspicion it might be because of their faith in Jesus. And what used to seem so important to them, because, you know, they'd go to church and they'd go as a family, but all of a sudden now in my new town, at my new university, nobody's going to church. 
So it just doesn't seem as, you know, important to me anymore. So at that point, that student has a decision to make, don't they? Are they going to unfollow or are they going to keep following? Because following Jesus doesn't seem so convenient anymore. Now listen, for every single one of us, there are going to be times, seasons, when it is going to seem disadvantageous to follow Jesus. And Jesus says to every one of us during those seasons, you aren't thinking of leaving too, are you? Now, when Jesus asked this question to his disciples, talk about awkward. I mean, there are crickets, right? You know why? Because in that moment, they were thinking of leaving. And in the middle of all this, Peter, (laughs) who normally says or does the wrong thing, Peter has a moment of clarity and genius. And he says the most amazing thing. Here's, Here's what he said. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, where would we go? To whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. We know this. We know it's you. We know it without a shadow of a doubt. I mean, we've seen too much. We've been through too much together. We've watched you do one miracle too many. We know that you are who you say that you are. We know there's no one else. We know this. And we're going to talk about the importance of this question in a few moments Um, where would I, in other words, you know, if not you, who? Because the reality is every single one of us, if we unfollow Jesus, we begin to follow something or someone else. Everybody builds their life on a foundation. It's either the foundation of Jesus or it's the foundation of something else. In our culture, that's probably going to be money and things, but you, build, you start chasing something else. It's not a matter of, am I going to chase Jesus? The bigger question is, what am I going to chase with my life? What am I going to build my one and only uh, you know, life on? So Jesus turns and asks this question. And it's so relevant, not just to them, but it's relevant to us as well. Because regardless of how long you've been following Jesus, the day is going to come when it is going to feel or seem disadvantageous for you to keep following Jesus. In fact, I'd submit to you there are three seasons of your life when this is going to happen, three seasons of your life when, uh, you're going to, when questions are going to come up and uh, it's, it's just going to be hard. Maybe you don't have an answer to them. The first one is this, just a season of transition. What I'm saying is you're going to be tempted to unfollow Jesus in seasons of transition. So here's what this looks like. It's going to be during a time of transition from uh, high school to college, from middle school to high school, from college to that first job, you know, from that job that took you from Indy to Cincinnati or from Shelbyville to Columbus or Columbus back to Shelbyville. And, you know, so suddenly you're in a town and you don't know anybody and you can't find a church that was quite like the church you attended before 
before, and so pretty soon it just doesn't seem as important as it used to, and you're kind of checked out, right? Um, so super important. Or, hey, well, you know, when I was living at home with my parents and we all went to church together, it seemed, it seemed important. It seemed to matter. But now that I'm a freshman in college and I don't know any other freshmen that are going to church. So again, it just doesn't seem as important to me. So, and again, these kinds of transitions, so important that we understand that, um, you know, we're going to be tempted in those seasons to unfollow. Now, the second one, isn't temptations, the second season we need to be careful of, is a season of trials. When, you know, just one storm after another uh, kind of blows into our lives. And here's why. Because when storms blow into your lives, what starts to happen is you question God's care. We question, well, does God really love me? Does God really care about me? Are his eyes really fixed on me or aren't they? Now, some of you will remember several months ago, we did a study in the book of Hebrews, and we said that the main argument that the author of Hebrews was making was he was talking to people that were going through hardship, going through trials, going through difficulty, and he wanted to encourage them to go all the way with Jesus. He wanted to encourage them to keep on keeping on, even when it was hard and when it was difficult. And here's how he said it. He said this, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, why would he say it like that? Unbelieving heart. Because they, they had ceased to believe that God loved them. They had ceased to believe that God really cared. And as a result, they were unfollowing. And the author of Hebrews was trying to correct that. And so he, would say, he was saying things like, look to the links that Jesus went to for your salvation. Look at the love that would do that. Go all the way with Jesus no matter how hard and how difficult it gets. Now, when I talk about trials or think about tribulations, one of the things that's so interesting to me about the writers of the New Testament is that they viewed trials entirely differently than you and I view trials. Uh, I mean, they speak about trials in a way that is so counterintuitive, especially to our culture. Let me give you an example. This is James chapter 1. Here's what he says. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face vacations of many kinds. Oh, wait, that's not what he said. That's the Bible we'd like to hear, isn't it? That's the verse we'd like to read, but that isn't what he said. He said, see to it, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. I mean, who talks like this? I mean, nobody in our culture does, but we'll come back to that in just a minute. He goes on to say this, because, in other words, here's why you should consider it joy when, you, when storms blow into your life, because you know that the testing of your faith, underline that word, faith, develops perseverance or the ability to remain under. Sometimes we call that grit around here. Perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, how can he talk that way? How is that even possible? 
I'll tell you why. See, in our culture, in our day, the things that we value the most are things like comfort and ease. And trials, hardship, difficulty have a way of getting in the way of things like comfort and ease. But the, the writers of the New Testament had a completely different value system than we do. Their value system said the most important thing about you, the most important thing about me, the most important thing about any of us is our faith. What we believe or don't believe about God. And so their perspective was, look, anything that would blow into your life that would elevate your faith, anything that would cause you to do a deeper dive in your faith, you ought to be happy about that. And as your faith grows, you become mature and better able to weather the next storm. This is an amazing thing, and it's because they had a completely different value system than we did. Because we want to build our lives on foundations like, as I said before, comfort and ease. And they said, no, the only reliable thing to build your life on is faith and trust in Jesus. The ability to say with Peter, we have come to believe. No, we don't just believe it. We know it. We know that you are the Holy One of God. It's incredible. So James is just saying, look, trials grow your faith and you should be joyful. They make you mighty of soul. They make you strong. Um, So, yeah, you should be happy about that. Now, Uh, Here's a third season. So uh, we're going to be tempted to unfollow in a season of um, transition, in a season of trial. And then here's the last one, just in a season of temptation. And let me give you a few just really specific examples. So one of the ways that temptation looks when you're in your teens and in your 20s is, hey, you know, he is so cute, but he's not a Christian. And, you know, so your Christianity, you want a relationship with this guy, but Christianity's kind of in the way of that. And so it's going to be tempting right in that season of your life to unfollow Jesus or to go uh, to, to have a physical relationship with this man that you know isn't pleasing to Jesus. So you're kind of tempted in a season like that to check unfollow. Or maybe it looks this way in your teens and 20s. Well, she's not a Christian, but she's absolutely beautiful. And anybody can become a Christian, but not everybody can become beautiful. So I'm just going to roll my dice and take my chances. Hope it works out, you know, for the best. Come on, you were thinking it. I just said it. I was just saying what you already See, in a season like that, we're tempted to unfollow Jesus. Or now I love him, and now I love her, and they don't love Jesus. So what am I going to do? Well, you're going to be tempted to check unfollow. So it goes back to Peter. This question that Peter asked, I think, is the antidote to unfollowing Jesus. And it's just this. It's the simple recognition that if I leave Jesus, where am I going to go? I mean, if not Jesus, who? If not Christianity, what? 
I mean, what else is there? Jesus, you alone have the words of eternal life. And nobody else is going to come for us. Nobody else is able to offer that. It's only you. It's only you. Where will we go? One of my favorite memories of my mom happened when I was a little boy. I couldn't have been more than in the third or the fourth grade. And I don't remember what it was now, but something had happened at home that I felt was a terrible injustice. So in a fit of tears, I told my mom that I was going to run away from home. So I ran upstairs, I slammed my bedroom door, I pulled a backpack uh, out from under my bed, and I started throwing stuff in my backpack. And interestingly, here's what happened. My mom, uh, a few minutes later, calmly walked into the room. She didn't try to stop me from packing. In fact, she actually started helping me pack my bag. I'm not making this up. She really was. I mean, she's sticking socks and underwear in there, and I'm like, you know, Mom, I really wasn't planning on being gone overnight, but okay, I mean, yeah, I just hadn't thought that far ahead, right? But as she's helping me pack my uh, backpack, she's asking me questions. So she's saying this, well, if you run away from home, who's going to tuck you into bed at night? I mean, where are you going to sleep? I thought that was a pretty good question. I hadn't really, you know, thought that far ahead. And then she says, if you run away from home, who's going to cook for you? I mean, what are you going to eat for dinner? Again, a pretty good question I hadn't really thought about. And then there was the low blow because the week before, I'd been home from school for about a week and really, really sick. And so, you know, she'd been taking care of me. That was fresh on my mind. So she says, well, if you run, out, run away from home, who's going to take care of you, you know, when you get sick? And she just keeps drilling me with these questions, you know, and pretty soon I understood something. I had nowhere else to go. I had no other home but that home. I had no other person in my life that would love me the way that my mom loved me. And this is the realization that Peter came to. I mean, Jesus, if we left you, there's nowhere else we could go. It's just you. It's only you. It's been you. You alone have the words of eternal life. We, we, have, we believe, no, we don't just believe. We know that you are the Holy One of God. We know it. In other words, Jesus, we've seen, we've seen too much. If we leave today, we'll be back in a day. If we leave tomorrow, we'd be back in a week. Because we've got nowhere else to go. I mean, look, you know, I remember when I was out there fishing with my dad, Jesus, and you walked up and you invited me into something and you invited us into your story, a bigger, bolder story. And suddenly our lives had more purpose than they ever had before. Suddenly it wasn't just about fishing for fish. It was making a, a difference in the lives of people and in, in a way that would ripple out into eternity. I mean, I mean, come on, my glory isn't worth living for. Your glory isn't worth living for. Isn't it amazing that our Jesus offers to insignificant people who live insignificant lives? Yes, I just said you were insignificant. I said I'm insignificant. And if you don't believe that, just consider this. We are hurling through space at thousands of miles per hour on a big hard rock. 
works for me. So the question is that we have to ask in these seasons is, Jesus, if I unfollow you, where am I going to go? What's better? Because the answer to that question is, there's nothing better. There is no one else. No one else is coming for you. It's only Jesus. Only Jesus. So, uh, you know, so here's what I want us to do. I want us to get into our hearts and into our souls. So we're actually going to play grade school for a minute. I'm going to have you repeat after me. Here's what, here's what we're going to ask. Here's the question we're going to ask. To whom would I go? So you ready? We're going to say it together. To whom would I go? That was very unenthusiastic. We're going to do it again. You ready? To whom would I go? I mean, Jesus, if not you, who? If not Christianity, what? Now listen, here's the deal that's so important to understand. In each of these seasons, they always create questions. Questions come up. In other words, when you're in a season of transition, questions are going to come up. When you're in a season of uh, temptation, questions are going to come up. When you're in a season of trials, questions are going to come up. And that's okay. You know, here's an example. So you're in a transition. You're sitting in class as a freshman, and you've got a professor. And all of a sudden, they're ridiculing your faith, and they're undermining what you think you know and believe about the Bible. Let me tell you something about your professor. They may seem so smart and so intelligent. They may. They may be smarter than you. But just because they're smarter than you does not mean that they are righter than you. Listen to me, just because you don't know the answer to the question doesn't mean there isn't one. I'm going to say this differently. It is a foolish, foolish thing to unfollow Jesus because of something you hear in a lecture hall. Well... You know, maybe you're in a season right now of uh, trial and disappointment with God if you were trying to put a label on it. Maybe you're here right now and you've been in a marriage. And until now, following Jesus has served you well. It's been advantageous, you know, for your marriage and helpful. But you're in a spot now where your marriage feels broken, you know, and your Christianity doesn't seem to be helping very much. You've always been that guy or you've always been that girl. Hey, well, you know, stay with it till you drop. You know, marriage is permanent. You know, marriage is not disposable. But now all of a sudden you're questioning that. And you're tempted to check unfollow because Jesus isn't moving quickly enough to fix your marriage. Maybe you're in a season where, you know, hey, you, you had the dreams of career, and so far all career is meant to you is a job. And like, you know, to this point, hey, you know, Jesus did stuff for you and got you promotions, but now you're not getting those anymore, and you don't feel you're making enough money in the role that you're in. And so you're tempted maybe to try something a little different and maybe check unfollow. I mean, I don't know. I don't know where you are, but here's what I know. Here's what's so comforting to me. Listen, whatever of those seasons you may be in or getting ready to go into, God knows. God knows. And do you know what our Jesus has said? He has said, I will never leave you 
And I will never forsake you, not one time. I won't do it, ever. Listen, how could we unfollow a God who speaks like that to his children? How could we unfollow a Jesus that went to the links he went to to rescue and save you and I from certain death and a painful eternity? Jesus went the extra mile for us. Shouldn't we go the extra mile for him? The Jesus who says to us, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, shouldn't we say the same thing? back to him isn't that what unconditional love is all about isn't that the bar that jesus set when he said that to us so here's what i'm going to do i'm going to pray for us and i'm going to pray that we would be men and women that would never check unfollow and then after that, we're going to take communion together, and I'll talk about that in just a moment. So if everybody would bow their heads. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the links that you went to, Lord Jesus, to secure our salvation. And we're so grateful for the promise that you have given that you, even when we're tempted to leave you, that you will never leave us and that you will never forsake uh, so, Lord Jesus, would you make us the kind of men, women, teenagers, children that would never forsake you, not even for the praise of men. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. Amen. <laughs>